You know, just so uh, I save you the trouble, I do have a cold today, um, so you don't have to like be in suspense for the entire message. Yes, yes, I do have a cold. It's one of those rare opportunities when us tenors get to be a baritone. So uh, <clears throat> we're embracing that, and I apologize if I throat clear or cough unexpectedly, but doing pretty well all up. So we'll be in Nehemiah chapter 10, if you want to turn there. I had to do a little history check to this, uh, this study. Um, looking into what happened in 1776 in Congress in Philadelphia, where 56 men in America signed the Declaration of Independence. And there were 27 facts listed there where they said this is what the crown has done to oppress us. These are abuses. These are, this is the tyranny that we are pushing back against. And we want to go from being colonies to an independent nation under God. And it was signed as a clear, in clear conscience before God and man that they were willing to face the consequences of something that would be seen as treason. That they were saying, hey, we're, we are now going to govern ourselves. We have that right. And it took eight years of fighting to achieve that aim. And I wonder, as, as necessary or as necessary as they thought it was to take this step. If I was there at the time, even with the offenses, would I be willing to put my name down on that document, knowing that I would be jeopardizing my life, that I could put my head in a noose by signing this, by agreeing to this, this declaration? Would I risk my family that I was trying to protect in taking this stand? And it was a pretty difficult question to answer because when you think about it life or death it's a big deal um, and and you're not just risking your own life but those that you love now in our passage today we talk about a very different signing instead of a, a declaration of independence really these these leaders in Israel they were signing a declaration of dependence on God because for a long time they've been living their lives away from the will of God ignoring and were really ignorant of God's laws. And so they decided to renew the agreement before God. God had made an agreement with them, and they said, Lord, we're going to respond to that agreement by signing our names, by saying we agree to it. It, it became personal for like the first time in a long time where they personally took responsibility for obeying God. And they took steps that were even beyond what the law required. And so we see that following God is much more than just a belief system, but it requires action. If God is our master, then we should obey him. If he is our father, we must honor him. We should give him the, the credit and the respect and the, the obedience he deserves. So I pray that today's passage, as we read through, it would move us to remember the covenant that God has made with us through Jesus, through his shed blood, and how we ought to respond to that. How we can take that personally and say, Lord, how should I live? I, I agree with this covenant you've made with me, and I want to keep my end of it and be obedient to you. So let's pray. Lord, thank you that you uh, have given us everything that we have. You've provided everything we need, and that we only live because of you. I pray you would just 
help us to understand that all we have, all we are, our future, everything in our lives that we love and cherish, it's because of you. It's because of your grace and your goodness to us. The peace and the joy that we experience, Lord, it's because of your, your awesome love. And I pray that we would all take it personal today, Lord, not hearing for somebody else, but taking to heart what you're saying to each one. That we'd remember the promises we've made to you. We would remember the things that we've said we would do and that we would follow through, Lord, before God, before man. We'd be accountable. So I thank you, Lord, for your word and pray that you would move in our hearts through your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. So we began in Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 1. Now those who placed their seal on the document were Nehemiah the governor, the son of Hakaliah and Zedekiah, Saraiah, Azariah, Jeremiah, Pashur, Amariah, Halkijah, Hatush, Shebaniah, Maluk, Harim, Merimoth, Obadiah, Daniel, Genethon, Baruch, Meshulam, Abijah, Mijamin, Maaziah, Bilgai, and Shemaiah. These were the priests. The Levites, Jeshua, the son of Azaniah, Benui, the son of Henadad and Cadmiel, their brethren, Shebaniah, Hodijah, Kalita, Pelaiah, Hanan, Micah, Rehob, Hashabiah, Zakur, Sherebiah, Shebaniah, Hodijah, Bani, and Beninu. The leaders of the people, Parash, Pahath, Moab, Elam, Zatu, Bani, Bani, Asgad, Bebai, Adonijah, Bigvai, Adin, Atur, Hezekiah, Azur, Hodajiah, Hashem, Bezai, Harif, Anathoth, Nebai, Magpiash, Meshulam, Hazir, Meshezabel, Zadok, Jadua, Pelatiah, Hanan, Ananiah, Hoshea, Hananiah, Hashub, Holahesh, Pilhas, Shobek, Rehum, Hashabna, Maaseah, Ahijah, Hanan, Anan, Maluk, Harim, and Baana. So if you have, you know, any uh, children on the way, here are some options for you. These are great Bible names here. Um, <clears throat> but all these people, of course, everybody, there were tens of thousands of people that said, we want to follow this covenant. But here were the leaders of the people. You have Nehemiah, the governor. You've got the priests. You've got the Levites. And the leaders of the people. They all gathered together. They all worshiped. They praised God. They professed God's faithfulness. They all admitted that they had sinned. And it's significant that Nehemiah would be the first mentioned, this governor, because you would think, okay, aren't the priests the spiritual leaders? They're the ones to take charge. But we see in the history of Israel, it's often the king that had a great influence on even how the priesthood ran, that as the king went, so went the people. Think about it with King Saul. You know, he killed the priests. Um, King Ahaz, for instance, he polluted the temple. He, he locked the doors. He set up altars to idols all over the city. But his son, Hezekiah, he opened and repaired the doors. He cleansed the temple. It took eight days to do it. He had the Levites sanctify themselves and the priests prepared to do the work of God. So the king, in this, it, it was never a secular role among God's people because before God he had responsibilities. But in this public sphere, 
it's really important that the king walked in a godly manner. And the, the king was commanded, and this is really cool in Deuteronomy 17, 18 through 20. The king was supposed to be a student of the law of God. It says, Also it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests, the Levites, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, and be careful to observe all the words of this law and of these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children, in the midst of Israel. So one of the duties of the king, one of the first things in office, was to take a copy of the law and to write it out by hand, and he would keep this copy with him. He was to read from it every day. To what end? It says that he may learn to fear God, that he would not have his heart lifted up. It would keep him humble, and that he would not turn aside from the commandment, and that he would prolong his life and his children's lives. So there was a, a great benefit for him to be obedient in this area, right? That's the value of us reading the Word of God every day. It's true for us too. And I think of parents. You know, we have this role of raising our children. Um, and as parents, we have the duty before God to love one another, to submit to each other in love. And it's said concerning children that more is caught than taught. Basically, how you live has a much bigger impact on your child's rearing than what you say. What you say is one thing, but how you live, that's the truth. Actions speak truer than words. Now, children, they're commanded to honor their father and mother. God's given fathers the responsibility of training their children. We see this in Ephesians 6, 4. It says, And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And I want to encourage dads out there that your life, even if your kids are grown, your life has a far greater impact than a sermon or than a JJ's teacher. And I challenge you to read the Word daily. Because you might be the only living sermon your kids see. That you can make a difference in their lives. So I ask you, are you fulfilling the call of God upon your life to raise your children as you should? As you set a godly example. So not just telling them what to do. Not just showing them, like, do this. But actually living it. And I remind all you men, uh, you are not a king. And your children and your wife are not your subjects. Jesus is the king. And in serving him, we serve one another. That's how it works. That's godly leadership, right? David was a man after God's own heart. He was a humble man. He saw himself as very small. He did not boss people around. He followed God. And that's how we can live. Nehemiah 10, 28. Now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the Nethanim, all those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the land to the law of God, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, everyone who had knowledge and understanding, these joined with their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our Lord and his ordinances, and his statutes. We'll stop right there.
So there were many others besides the name listed who agreed, hey, we want to bind ourselves away from the people of the land, the, the ungodly practices of the world, and to bind ourselves to the law of God, to do what God says. I like that, to do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord. So everyone who had understanding, they joined themselves, it says, in a curse and an oath to keep God's laws. And that shows us that all people that have understanding, they have the capacity to enter into a relationship with God where we hear from him and we walk in obedience to him. So don't wait until your kids are adults before you start leading them in the way of salvation. We can do that even now. As soon as they can understand speech, we should speak to them the truth of God's word. And they all understood that if we do what God says, there will be blessing. If we choose to disobey, there will be a curse. There will be a curse brought upon us. If you turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 30, 19 through 20, we see this is not a foreign concept. This is in the law. But the people affirmed that they understood it. They say, we get it. If we do what's right, God will bless. If we choose to disobey, there will be a curse. And as we'll see, this is the covenant of law. It's a different covenant than what we are living under today. So Deuteronomy 30, verse 19 and 20. So this is like historical background. Moses wrote, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life, that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, and that you may obey his voice and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. Agreeing to the covenant did not ensure blessing. They actually had to do the covenant. They had to put it into practice. The only potential for that blessing was by the grace of God. It was... um well, because everyone's under the curse of sin and death, right? Everyone who's born of Adam, they are under the curse, the curse of sin that brings death. Everyone dies. So it was in God, not in keeping laws, that the people would experience life. As it says, he is your life. God is your life. Now the law brought blessing for the obedient, curse for the disobedient. But all who try to earn their way to heaven will be condemned by the law because all have sinned, right? We've all fallen short of God's laws. And Jesus has established a new covenant in his blood which has removed the curse of the law because the law can only condemn you. It can only point out your faults. There's no real uh, upside to keeping some of it when you fail to keep other parts. There's no salvation for you there. If you turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 9, we'll see how Paul, he was explaining how Abraham was called righteous by God. So that means in right standing before God, he could stand before God because he trusted God, because of faith. And this came before the law, right? So the law came after Abraham, but Abraham was deemed righteous before the law. And Paul gives this example to show that righteousness by faith in God 
and keeping the law, they are mutually exclusive. So Galatians chapter 3, verse 9. Paul, could you open that door back there? Just Thanks, somebody. Thanks, appreciate it. So Galatians chapter 3, verse 9. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. That no one is, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So in Nehemiah's day, Keeping the law was an external exercise. It was something you did. But since Jesus has come, he has shed his blood, he died on the cross, he's risen from the dead, we enter in a new covenant which trumps the law. You guys get the term trump? Have you ever played hearts or something? Where it's like, any suit is laid, but if you lay a heart, it can be the weakest heart, but it will trump everything. Well, the blood of Jesus, this covenant, it has trumped the old covenant. It is greater, built on better promises. And so when we confess our sins, we are regenerated from the inside. We are born again. Instead of being governed by external rules, we follow the leading of the Spirit, which will be in agreement with God's Word, in fact, going beyond what's written in the law. At the same time, those who are genuinely converted will obey God. I was reading this morning um, through the law. And it was really cool because it's like the, the, the law says, you shall have no other gods before me. But for us, it's good for us to not have any other gods before God. However, how about telling other people about God? Isn't that more than what the Ten Commandments say? It says, do not murder. Well, it's good not to murder people, but how about praying for your enemies? Loving those who hate you, doing good to those who despise you and use you. It says, do not covet. Right? That's true. That's good. We shouldn't covet. However, how about thanking God for what we have and being generous with what he's given us to help others in need? Right? So you see that this covenant of grace we have through the Holy Spirit who guides us, it's not just the keeping of an external law but we are now moved by the Spirit to go beyond what is even written in the Old Testament or under the Old Covenant of Law, like keeping the Sabbath day holy. It's good to have a day set apart for the Lord. But how about us being holy unto God every day, serving Him, laboring with Him, walking with Jesus, saying, Lord, I want to be holy to you, not just to have a set day, that's a holy day where I remember you, but to remember you always always keeping you in my mind and in my heart. So faith in God and our works ought to agree with one another. If I tell Laura that I love her above all, yet I am on a weekly basis having affairs, well, my profession of love is going to ring very hollow indeed. Um, let's say you believe, you claim, you make the claim that, that skydiving is 100% safe. 
Well, then you should have absolutely no problem with jumping out of a plane at 10,000 feet, right? If you really believe that, if you make that claim, well, then you should follow through. Imagine if Jesus had said over and over, you know, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die three days. I'm going to rise again. I'm going to be betrayed in the hands of sinners. And I will, you know, I will die and I'll rise again. He did this. And then when he appears before Pilate, what if he was groveling at his feet, denying he was the son of God, you know, trying to back out of it, paying, offering Peter some money to pose as him to be the, the Messiah. Like, you, you would rightly say, where is your faith? You said that God will raise you, that you'll be raised again. Destroy this temple. In three days, I will raise it from the dead. Don't you, don't you believe your own words? Because Jesus had faith in God, he was willing to go to the cross. He was willing to suffer and die for our sins. So if we've truly been born again through the Holy Spirit, we've repented, we believed in the gospel, the Holy Spirit, he lives within us now. We're not governed by the externals of the law, but by the power of God who dwells in us. There will be in us a a desire to know God, to obey God, and to please him. And I believe there's many people who say they believe the gospel, people who say they are born again, but they're not legitimate children of God. They have been baptized. They profess the, you know, the Apostles' Creed, perhaps. Maybe they've passed out tracts. They've, they've memorized scripture. Perhaps they've even taught from a pulpit. But they are deceived because their religion is discipline without life. It is knowledge without love. Our response is not to judge others critically or to wonder, is that guy saved? Is, that, is she really saved? But to take this personally, do I see evidence of the Holy Spirit in my life? Do I practice what I say is right? The Bible says if we hear but do not do the word, our belief is empty and useless. And this is not my opinion. This is straight from the text. If you turn to James chapter 1. 25 and 26. We have this example here of the tongue as an indicator of what's really going on inside. James chapter 1, verse 25 and 26. It says, But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. So the passage gives us the example of the the mouth, the tongue, the words that we speak. If we claim born-again Christian status and we have no self-control over our tongue, if our words are chronically polluted with lies, cursing, gossip, slander, how can we claim to be filled with the pure spirit of God when there's no repentance, when there's no conviction of sin. Where's the freedom from sin we're supposed to have when we're born again? Where's the, like the power of doing what's right in God's eyes? And we have to look at ourselves and, and examine our own hearts. Better to realize that I have been playing a game and I'm not born again now than when I stand before God on Judgment Day. Instead of asking, is it him, is it her? Ask, Lord, is it I? 
or master is it I? Or is he, is he your Lord? It's a good thing for us to consider, to keep examining our hearts according to Scripture. Praise the Lord. He opens the eyes of the blind, right? He brings the dead to life. He causes us to become aware of things that we, for, for whatever reason, for decades, just weren't aware of. And he delivers us and saves us from those. And what rejoicing, what freedom there is to praise and to worship him and to know that he has done the work. It's not me trying to be better. It's because he's transforming and I'm his child. So back to Nehemiah 10, starting in verse 30. It says, We would not give our daughters as wives to the peoples of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. If the peoples of the land brought wares or any grain to sell on the Sabbath day, we would not buy it from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day, and we would forego the seventh year's produce and the exacting of every debt. Also, we made ordinances for ourselves to exact from ourselves yearly one-third of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, for the regular grain offering, for the regular burnt offering of the Sabbaths, the new moons, and the set feasts, for the holy things, for the sin offerings, to make atonement for Israel, and all the work of the house of our God. So the Jews who affirmed this covenant, they listed various areas where they renewed their commitment to walk in obedience to God. It suggests these were areas they had been slack. So they had read the law. Remember, during the Feast of Sukkot, they had read the, the law every day. They stood for a quarter of the day while he, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah read. And so they, they pinpointed these particular areas that they said, this is, we're going to obey God now. We've been, we haven't been, but we're going to start. And the first area was the covenant of marriage. Marriage is a covenant before God, and they would not undermine God's covenant by making a covenant with the heathen, or the pagan people that were around them, adopting their practices, following their gods. And uh, marriages were arranged for various reasons. It could give you a lot of financial benefit. It could in increase your, your land, your possessions. So they said, we're not going to enter... It kind of has a business part of it, too. Um, arranged marriages were not forced marriages. The bride uh, traditionally had the right of refusal. But the next law, it concerned their business practices. So first one, relationships. Now, business. They say if someone comes and they're bringing, they used to go end around on this one. Hey, it's not a Jewish guy selling it, so it's okay to buy on the Sabbath. They say, okay, we're not going to do that anymore. They come to the gates and it's convenient to buy from them. We're not going to buy on the Sabbath day. And we're going to stop gleaning and harvesting the land in the seventh year. We're going to actually let the land rest, like God has said. We're going to stop charging interest on loans. We're going to stop forcing people to pay their loans, exacting it from them. And then finally, they agreed to obey God in their relation of giving even giving more than what was required in the law. Whenever there was a census taken, the people had to give half a shekel towards the, the, the maintenance of the sanctuary. Now, in Scripture, that, that happened very rarely. There's only a handful of times where we read that they did a census. So they said, what we're going to do is a third of a shekel annually to maintain the sacrifices, make sure the, the house of God is repaired, it's up to snuff. So they all agreed. And it, it says they took that upon themselves. It wasn't commanded in the law, 
But they decided, this is what we're going to do. We want to make sure that this, this place is working, that the, the Levites have what they need to do the work of God. And those are three areas that are good for us to examine ourselves in our relationships, in our business practices, and in giving. Of course, the, the Holy Spirit's leading is not limited to these areas, but I was thinking if we were to address these things personally, seeking to honor God in all of them, we would be good for it. It would be better. So relationships, are we living peaceably with one another as much as depends on us? I love all the one another commands in the New Testament. You know, you can't do the one another commands by yourself. You have to be with one another. You have to be with other Christians. You have to be in fellowship to do the one another commands. If you're married, single, you have parents, you, you're a, ch- a child, you're, you have brothers and sisters, you have children. We, we have people all around us where we have opportunities daily to show the love of Jesus Christ. Business choices should be, a, uh, should be in God's wisdom according to his leading. Inve- investments, partnerships, paying wages, in buying and selling, in being an honest and dependable employee. Are we seeking the leading of God to guide us in our jobs and in giving. Are we giving joyfully and generously to those who are in need? As we freely receive from God, we should freely give. Verse 34, we cast lots among the priests, the Levites, and the people for bringing the wood offering into the house of our God according to our father's houses at the appointed times year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. And we made ordinances to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of all trees year by year to the house of the Lord, to bring the firstborn of our sons and our cattle as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and our flocks to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, to bring the first fruits of our dough, our offerings, the fruit of from all kinds of trees, the new wine and oil, to the priests, to the storerooms of the house of our God, and to bring the tithes of our land to the Levites, for the Levites should receive the tithes in all our farming communities. The first thing as I read this was the repetition of how the people did as it is written in the law. It's like, we did it as it is written. They actually used the law of God as a guide for how they should live. And it's good for us to do the same, to read the scripture and to say, this is going to give me guidance. It is a light unto my feet, a lamp unto my path. It will show me the right way. When we're faced with decisions, which we have all the time. So the Bible should govern personal choice. God will lead us in how to rightly divide the word of truth. Remember how Jesus answered when he was tempted by Satan? And he prefaced his responses with, as it is written, right? He, he always answered the temptations of Satan with the truth of Scripture. And he said, it's a wise man who hears my word and does it, right? You have a firm foundation. And if it was important for Jesus to quote Scripture and to live accordingly, well, then it's true for us as well. We should live as it is written. The people, they, it says they cast lots to ensure people brought firewood. I mean, that seems like a pretty practical thing. 
that was required in the law. They hadn't been doing it. So the Levites are chopping wood or, or it's just not happening, right? It says they brought their first fruits of trees, cattle, herds, flocks, redeeming the firstborn, even the, their dough. I like making bread. It'd just be pretty odd to go, all right, let's take some of this dough, the, the, the best of it, put it over here. That's for God. You know, kind of reserve that and give it to the Levite who's in the village. It is interesting. Fruit, wine, oil. This was how God chose to sustain those he had called to work. So those who were serving in the temple, they weren't able to have uh, to tend their herds or flocks. And so God made a provision for them. The second main thing that stood out to me in this passage is how God has a rightful claim on everything. Right? Everything they had, it, it was under God's control. And uh, under the law, people brought a tenth or a tithe of their increase, plus other offerings, and, and God wasn't to get the leftovers, but the best and the first. You think of that olive oil, that virgin, extra virgin olive oil, right off the press. And how that works is, when they would put the, the uh, olives under the press, just the weight of the press alone, without putting any force to it, the oil that came from that, that was the best, that's the extra virgin. And then they get like a couple of cranks on that thing. It starts to crush it down. That's what you would use for eating. And then when it's really smashed, then that's just for cooking because it's pretty bitter. It has all the seeds in there, and it makes it not very tasty and very stinky. So not as good. So the best wine, the best cuts of lamb or beef. You know that top layer of the ice cream that's just so nice to scrape off? Well, yeah, that's, that's God's too. Like everything. That's God's portion. I'm going to be honest with you, and I hope you're honest with yourselves. You know what your preferences are, right? When I'm barbecuing meat, and I'm looking at it, I'm like, this looks good. I know which one I think looks best. And you know who that one would be the intended recipient of that meat? It would be me, right? I know which one I like the best. Now, it's a, it's a gift unto the Lord when we say, hey, you can have whatever you want to someone else or you intentionally give the best to somebody else because you would appreciate it. So you're doing it to others as you would have them do unto you. See, God isn't just worthy of the best, but all. That's something I'm learning. He's worthy of that. We're to render unto Caesar what's Caesar. We're to give to God what's God's. We've been purchased by the blood of Jesus. God has promised to provide for all of our needs. We don't need to fear that if we give ourselves or our stuff or our resources that we will lack any good thing because God has promised to supply our needs. Has he not? He has. He will abundantly meet, meet them. And I found that when I'm, an, I'm a generous steward of what God's given me, he provides plenty. Even our losses can be counted as gain because we can experience a closer relationship with God. Isn't that what Paul said? He says, everything that, that I once counted gain, I've counted loss. The things that I prided myself in, the things that I was pleased with. Like, I've traded up big time because I look to God instead of those things. He was able to be content whether he had a lot or whether he had a little. Because his contentment was not found in his stuff, it was found in God. May it be the same for us because he is our life. God is our life. There's no life in, in stuff. Nehemiah 10, 38. And the priest, the descendant of Aaron, 
shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive tithes. And the Levites shall bring up a tenth of the tithes to the house of our God, to the rooms of the storehouse. For the children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offering of the grain of the new wine and the oil to the storerooms where the articles of the sanctuary are, where the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers are, and we will not neglect the house of our God. When the Levites received the tithes, it said there would be a descendant of Aaron, so there needed to be a priest there to, to make sure that everything was going according to the word. This showed submission to God's authority, accountability between the people who, who counted and distributed the tithes, and um, 90% was used to support the Levites and 10% for the building and for the storehouses. They had wine and oil and grain that they used to make the showbread and the oil was used for the lamp and the wine for the, the drink offerings and the different things. And we've used this pattern to guide our money handling practices at, at Calvary Chapel Sydney. We have multiple people who look over the offerings that have come in and make sure that, that they are appropriately deposited into the bank. And we also set aside 10% to contribute to outside groups or people who are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. It's really cool that when we're generous, giving joyfully like God does, we facilitate the praise of God. And just this week, um, there was a, a really thoughtful gift that was supplied. And when I saw that gift, I was like, Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for that gift. Praise you for that person who's been moved by your spirit to contribute. It's just really neat that when we give, we can praise God in that. It's not like pulling teeth. But we can also rejoice in the gift that's given for the glory of God. If giving according to the Spirit's leading, whether it's to a, a person or the church, if that seems offensive to you, consider why that might be. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. One thing that, that used to mark my life, I'll say one of those areas that I, I was not faithful in um, where I was always, I was always giving 10% to God at, through giving at the church, but I was very stingy. There's no other way to put it. I was very cautious to, in giving. I remember one time, and it, and it has been just one of those milestones in my life, where I went on a, a day fishing trip, and I caught a lot of fish. It was the best day I ever had. And, uh, you know, I had literally a, a bruise on my stomach from where the rod butt was sticking there, and I'm reeling. I mean, we were just catching them, just fish after fish. Big barracuda, yellowtail. It was a great day. It was like an epic day that I've never had since. But anyway, we get there, and, you know, I don't want, I don't want to pay them to clean my fish because, oh, they're just going to waste too much. So I, I didn't, I didn't want to shell out that money. And, uh, and this, this, uh, they put your catch down. I'm like, ah, oh, it's good. You know, look at that. I'm kind of taking it all in. This is a pretty novel experience. And this old lady comes up and she's like 
fish, nice fish. And she's like picking them up and putting them into a bag. I'm like, whoa, whoa, what's going on? Like, what happened? What are you doing? Like, you don't touch my fish. Like, I, I paid to go on that trip. I caught those fish. Th- those are like mine. And she, I don't know if she spoke English at all, but she's kind of like, oh, what? You know, and I'm like, hey, what are you doing? And so she like kind of put the fish down and left. And later I was just like, why didn't I just give her fish? It was an easy thing to do. Maybe she was hungry. I don't know. But God just showed me my selfishness in that moment. My, my utter carelessness about what this other person was thinking, just thinking, this is mine. And I took it home. It took me two hours to clean those fish. And, and I had to give some away anyway. I mean, I wasn't going to eat them all. But God just showed me in that moment of how I needed to change. And I pray God would use those moments in your life to show you how he wants to change you and, and make you more into the image of Christ. Someone who's generous, who's going to err on the side of generosity rather than, but what about me? Because if we're always asking, what about me? God will let you care for yourself, but don't be surprised when you lack because God will take care of you when you give according to his leading. So 2 Corinthians 9. Background on the passage is the Corinthian church, they promised to give money to support the struggling church in Jerusalem. They were under a persecution. It was a difficult time for them. And they had said, yes, we pledge, we're going to give. We're going to give to support this church. And Paul, he reminded them, hey, you know, your zeal, you said you were going to give. There's been a lot of other churches that were actually moved to give because of what you pledged. But guys, you haven't followed through. They hadn't actually given anything. They hadn't set anything aside. And so he very gently was reminding them, like, guys, you said you were going to give. You know that it's a worthy cause. Why don't you follow through? He wasn't greedy for personal gain. He wasn't going to receive anything from it himself. But he's saying, remember what you said, and how about following through? So when I send people to come receive the gift, it's ready, and you're not scrambling to get it together. So guys, get your act together. Follow through on what you said. See, it's a glorious day when we see giving to God as gain. That is a good day when we see giving as gain. We're not losing anything. I don't just mean contributing money to a church. Giving includes church, but that's not the end. And Paul lays out some really important principles we can take to heart in 2 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 6. It says, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food Supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. 
this illustration of sowing seed, it's pretty easy to understand. The more seed you sow, the bigger harvest you will have. And he, he makes the correlation like, God has given you seed. Should you be afraid to sow it? Right at the bottom of that passage. 10. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown. So God has supplied the seed. He supplied these things for you to give. And if the seed stays in the bag, it can't generate any more fruit, right? But if it leaves the bag and it goes into the ground, there's a measure of faith required. God will provide the fruit. The fruit. Even as he's given you the seed, he will cause the fruit to grow. He will cause that bread to sustain. So, Corinthians, you're not going to lose anything by giving, but God's grace is going to abound towards you. I love it. It says, having all sufficiency in all things. And then later, while you are enriched in everything for all liberality. So when we give, it has not just an impact, um, as some would have you believe, just in monetary things. Like if you give money, you'll get money. That's not what it's saying. It's saying you will receive grace in everything. There will be a positive impact from you giving liberally, trusting the Lord and following his leading in every area of your life. That can't be quantified through money. See, if I throw out a dollar figure at you, you're like, oh, okay, is that a good investment or not? No, it's just everything. Everything is benefited when we obey God, when we follow his leading. And it causes thanksgiving through us to God. So when they did give eventually, Paul praised God for it. I'm sure they praised God that they were able to give. And when people received it in Jerusalem, they also praised God. So God was getting praise time and time again. The the messengers who gathered the gift, the people who gave the gift and handed it over, God's getting praise and glory. Enriched in everything. It's in giving we're blessed. And as we contribute to the good of others for the glory of God, we are enriched. So our giving, may it be to the end that more praise would be given to God and we could thank him for the opportunity. Let me ask you, have you made good on giving to God as you have said you would? I'm not talking about money. It may be. But have you given to God what you said you were going to give? Have you done the thing that you said you were going to do? It wasn't written down in the law for you to do. This is something you said you were going to do. Have you done it? I pray that God would remind you of the thing that he remembers you said that maybe you forgot you said and that you can do that thing and be blessed and God would be praised and there would be a closeness that you've never experienced with God ever before. So praise the Lord that he is faithful to his word. He will keep his word to us. We forget. We don't follow through. We have to examine ourselves like the Israelites did. And they look at their lives and go, you know, once I've read God's law, I see there's a lot of things that I haven't been doing right. You don't need to tackle everything, but I ask, I just encourage you, exhort you as a brother in Christ that you would follow the leading of the Lord and you just be obedient to him. That you would examine yourself and say, have I done the things that I said I was going to do? And may God help us keep doing that.
Like, I don't want to say it because I don't want to be held accountable. Well, you know what? God knows your heart already. He knows what you ought to say and if you're just being stubborn. So let's, let's be honest with God. Let's be honest with ourselves. I love that God has given to us. John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And Jesus has given us an example, hasn't he? In that he gave himself. So the Father gave the Son, but the Son agreed to be given. Not just agreed to be given, but he gave himself to the praise of God. We praise God for his sacrifice. Let's just turn to Titus 2.11 as we begin to uh, move towards receiving communion together. Jesus did as it is written. He, He obeyed the law of God. Through his sacrifice, he sprinkled many nations. We have been healed. We have been regenerated through that new covenant in his blood. We can have everlasting life and assurance of it by his grace. So Titus 2, 11 through 14. It's good for us to recall to mind how much we've received. When we realize how much we have in Christ, that moves us to generosity. It's, it keeps our eyes focused on all that we've received, rather than like, I've got to give what? <laughs> when God asks us. Titus 2.11, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Since we have received so great a salvation by the grace of God, at his expense, we should follow God's example, Christ's example, to give ourselves heart, mind, body, soul to him. That we would do as it is written. That we would live. We would align our practices, our decisions, with the will of God as we read in the scripture. Let's remember the covenant that Jesus has made through his blood. And let's affirm our commitment to him. Because you know, the commitment of the the people in Nehemiah's day, as we'll see, they were not able to follow through. Nehemiah had to step in and correct them many times, even though they signed their name down. And we can commit to God, and if it's on the strength of my own resolve, I will fail. But if we trust the Lord and we rely upon him to lead us, to empower us and strengthen us, we can do these things. Because look, if we're born again, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. We should be redeemed from every lawless work and purify a special people zealous to do good, zealous to do what pleases God and what brings praise to him. So I pray that that would be uh, evident in our lives that we would honor God in our relationships, in our business practices, in our giving, in our thanksgiving and praise unto him. Let's be reliant upon his goodness. So we're going to now celebrate and remember the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross for our sins. 
and uh, I'm going to have the team come forward. And during the song, I encourage everyone who's been born again to come forward and receive of the cup and the bread. And then once we've all received, I will just lead in a, a prayer. Let's, let's seek the Lord. Father, thank you for loving us so graciously, so freely and generously. Thank you for giving us everything that pertains to life and godliness. And we, we can't earn it. And no amount of working can obtain it. But thank you that we can receive you and become children of God. Thank you that we can receive such bounty from your hand. And Lord, as, as the people in Nehemiah's day affirmed, Lord, we have sinned. I have sinned. I have not lived up to this high calling you've placed upon my life. Lord, we have fallen short and, and remarkably short, Lord, not, not even close to your perfection. So I pray, Lord, in this quiet time that you would speak to our hearts and you would remind us of the things that we've said and the pledges we've made. And I pray that we would, by your power and by your Holy Spirit, be enabled to walk in your ways, to please you, to do the things that, that you delight in, that we would uh, no longer be have our lives mired in sin, but we would walk in the way that pleases you uprightly, in the light as you are in the light, loving one another as you have loved us. So Lord, we pray that you would wash us clean again. You would fill us afresh with the Holy Spirit. You would fill our hearts with praise and adoration to you that under conviction of your Spirit, Lord, we would, we would repent. We would confess our sins to you, Lord, and we'd be changed. We, we would embrace this change and walk in your ways. Lord, we thank you that you will have us if we will come to you. Those who cry out to you, you will by no means cast out or forsake. So thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, for your word, and for Jesus and for his shed blood that washes us from all sin. We just uh, honor you and reverence you now in Jesus' name. Amen.